You are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walking around on stilts was fucked up. My name is Dave. And my name is Feedy. And you're listening to the, the Thundercling Thunder Podcast. As seen on Mountain Project forums where it's 50-50 whether people support or hate us. I prefer reading <laughs> the people who hate us. Yeah. Who say that we're Skype interviewing assholes. Oh. Yeah, well, we do. We have had to resort to long distance interviews lately. We have to. Yeah, we have to. We don't to. have any in the hopper. We don't have any like chilling in the freezer. <laughs> No, every week it is a it is a tightrope we walk. We're scrambling. We're scrambling. Dude. Especially we get during you, the goddamn coronavirus. But we get you that hot, juicy content anyways. Even <laughs> even though Dave literally has to live on his porch now because he built a climbing wall and he has no no room to live. So he lives on his porch. No, I can fit into my bedroom so I can yeah, sleep. He, he sneaks behind the climbing wall to get into his bedroom. That's not true. But I got to climb a V6 just yes. to take a dump. Dude. It's crazy, man. It's I mean, Dave's looking really shredded right now. And yeah. he's been maniacally carving wood holds. Every time I come over here, there's a pile of we're actually sitting in a pile of wood shavings that is the truth it's, it's disgusting it's not disgusting as much i need as it to is. fucking clean my porch man what's my problem you know what the problem is too when it's like cold or chilly yeah or i just don't feel like being outside on the porch i actually make the climbing holds right next to the climbing wall in my living room and like every three days i have to pledge my bookshelves mm-hmm. It's just covered yeah. in dust and I, stuff, but I don't have any visitors, so yeah, except for I, you, Feedy. Yeah, you don't I've, care. I've secretly stopped taking my shoes off in your house because I, last time I did, I got splinter in my toe. Yeah, you gotta watch out. And uh, I didn't like that, so it's my <laughs> pandemic hobby, dude. We all yeah, we we all need to find hobbies during this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, at the start of this pandemic, I was just such a bright-eyed, hopeful, like, damn, this is awesome. You know, when am I gonna gonna get another weird summer break? Cause I got essentially furloughed and to just focus my efforts into those projects that I've always talked about doing. Cause now I, there's no excuse. Now I literally, you know, I'm, I was on unemployment. It's hard to find a job. I'm just, you know, at home. And then it turns out when I'm given all that opportunity, I just end up playing a lot of video games. What, were, <laughs> what were your, what were your hopes? What were your like desires when it started? You're like, Oh my God, I'm going to have like six weeks at home, forced mm-hmm. seclusion. Mm-hmm. What are my little hobby horses that I'm going to ride? What were your great I dreams? I really thought that I would at least come out of this having created something interesting. And I guess that's to say I haven't done anything is not entirely true, but you know, I've been spitballing some ideas around spitballing. I've been spitballing what with myself. Spitballing. <laughs> Spitballing doesn't get anything done. Well, yeah, You're just I know. Talking. You're just talking, dude. That's what I'm saying. I didn't do anything, Dave. Wow. You've been exposed. Yeah. The mask is off. Do you consider yourself an incredibly lazy person? Yes. Without drive or motivation or any semblance of ambition or e- motivation? Is that how you can... The problem is, that is like, I have, I have those things, <laughs> but they're, they're always for the most... They're for useless. climbing. Yeah, like I, I feel useless. very passionate about climbing and uh, doing that all the time doesn't really 
change your other life, your your uh your quote unquote real life. You could have learned you could have learned a language, dude. You could have learned how yeah. to knit. You could have taught yourself something. Yeah. You could have read a bunch of books. You could have yeah. uh, made a, mm-hmm. a fun movie. Yeah. You could have uh, learned a new instrument. You yeah. could have perfected a guitar song yes. on your guitar. Uh-huh. Did you do any of those things or anything remotely like that? You know, I <laughs> got really good at playing video games again, which... <laughs> If you don't know this, Feedy used to be a, a competitive, <clears throat> a competitive gamer. Thank you. Yes, but it tore up his. It tore, this is no joke. It, it chewed it me t- up. <laughs> yeah, it chewed him up and spit him out. He was suffering injury after injury, repetitive stress injuries. Yeah, it was terrible. It was a vicious cycle. I couldn't climb for a while too. He would always have his wrist taped up and his thumbs taped up. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, what happened? He's like, oh, Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it hurt me. Um, but now. You know, now you're stepping back into that game. Do you I'm feel re- like that's a dangerous thing for you to do? Oh, like, absolutely. I think we all have that weird time suck that we know <laughs> you just have to stop feeding it, even though you feel like you could feed it forever. I'm reaching that point now where I'm like, oh, holy shit, it's been literally two months. I gotta do something. I I gotta mix it up. But so, you started a whole. You started a Twitch. I did. Dave's like, my one follower on Twitch.tv oh, where dude. I stream. You guys got to hunt out. Uh, what's your name on Twitch? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Feedy Come oh, check it out. It's fantastic. <laughs> it, it's so great. It has become my night pandemic hobby is watching Feedy pursue his hobby. Yeah. Which, which makes me uh, more miserable than you. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, what am I, like, I doing? What am I doing? I'm watching Feedy waste his time. But, you know, Dave, what about you, man? Well, I guess you've been kind of interesting. My, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, it's all the Mountain Dew clogging up our throats. The sawdust in my lungs. Um, well, so, I mean, my life has undergone some changes yes. in these last months. Um, Lynn, my uh, ex-girlfriend, we mm-hmm. separated after seven years. Amicably, we're still friends. It's yeah, all good. still hard. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard. In but, the middle you know, of a pandemic. It, yeah, it, we were the the cliche couple that broke up during the pandemic, but that's okay. Um, so now I'm alone in the house. Mm-hmm. I've got an entire house all to myself, um, which is fine. Other than bills are a little tight, but we're all good there. Yeah. Um, we're making it happen. So I had to fucking come up with a hobby too. And yeah. of course, I built a climbing wall in the Very middle good. of my living room because yeah. nobody can tell me what to do anymore. Ever. Um, and then... So I turns I, out climbing holds are really expensive. Well, I I sent a picture. So Ian Powell, the owner of Kilter Grips, mm-hmm. who we've had on the show and who's absolutely a climbing legend, who has done so much for the sport. Um, we became friends a number of years ago, and I sent him a picture of my climbing wall, and he's like, "Oh, it's fucking great." And then like three days later, he's like, "Yo, dude, instead of putting all those fucking." shitty holds on your wall yeah, non-kilter grip holds. all those non-kilter holds on the wall why don't you just make your own why don't you yeah. just make your own holds you know what i'm too pissed off to talk i'm out and that was the end of that text conversation i was like oh my god ian's gonna hurt me <laughs> so i went to home depot and i bought some mahogany and i bought some oh, walnut and poplar yeah. and oak and i started hand shaping holds you know the, the ironic thing is dave has hundreds of holds that he hasn't put on his wall 
and he can't climb on his wall because he keeps cutting his fingers. I sliced <laughs> my pointer finger on my left hand down to the bone. It's really gross. Making a hole, but so, we're looking at it right now. It's almost healed. So I can, I've taken like <clears throat> 10 days off from climbing. So Dave's climbing wall is more of a uh, ambiance. ambiance. It's just there for aesthetics. Je ne sais it's just quoi, there to, uh, certain je ne sais quoi in his house. You can't say a, a certain before saying je ne sais quoi um, because je ne sais quoi is a really certain something. A really specific. Uh, wait, no, je ne sais quoi is a, I do not know. Oh, is it? Yeah, je ne sais quoi. I don't speak Russian, bro. Oh God. Dos vidonia. Dos vidonia. That's all the Russian I what speak. Is, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, my post-breakup pandemic hobby has ma- been making climbing holds and I'm up to like a hundred and <laughs> some odd holds and they're really nice. They're quite guys, nice. you I, guys should definitely, Dave's trying to sell them. You should I think message I him sell them. and uh, they're hand-loved, hand-touched. They're um, all handmade. Yes. I don't use, I, I use power tools <laughs> to like cut them into the shape and then I carve it by hand yeah, and I he sand really it does. by hand. I don't have a belt sander. He's going to engrave a little Thundercling logo on each of them. So I think I'm going to call them Thunderclings. That's so good. Huh? That's so good. Fuck. Thunderclings. So if you guys are looking for some custom made holds um, <laughs> from a lonely bald man living in Denver who can't climb because he keeps mangling his fingers yeah. making the holds, get a hold of me. They're, I think I'm going to sell them uh, reasonably at about $200 a hold. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was expecting way more. Yeah, I was thinking 300 a hold. I mean, you but... can't... It's hard to put a price on art that is so priceless. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's honestly a steal. Uh, you're supporting, like we said, a, a bald man. <laughs> a lonely bald, a lonely man, bald man with bleeding fingertips. Uh, ble- his tips are bloody. And uh, yeah, he needs you. I need you. So that was my... So I feel that I have uh, performed some artistic endeavors during my pandemic. It's been been actually very productive. In between watching you on Twitch and, you know, working the day job. Before I, I, you know, we move on past this topic, uh, I will say I have been productive. I've decided to grow out my facial hair. And I think I have... I think I have a little bit of facial hair now. I never thought I would be this way. I got to tell you, how does it look? With the facial hair you have and the incredible length of your hair. Yeah. And when it's not like tied back and it's just, you look like a fucking badass. Whoa. I'm not even kidding, dude. You look a little bit scary to me. Thank you. And I shouldn't be saying that to you because I want to make you feel like you scared. want to yeah, be scared I'm of scared me. I'm scared of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you being you you opening up like that. But with the facial hair, it, oh, it's a little man. funny how it just it doesn't. I only get a mustache. It doesn't connect. It to doesn't the, connect to my goatee. Yeah, and I have no beard, so it's you have literally no cheek hair. I have no cheek hair <laughs> at all. You know, this is the only time I could ever do this. I'd be too embarrassed in real life. Everyone else is growing their facial hair out, and it's like really nice and thick. Mine is wiry, pubic like yeah but oh uh, god it's not pubic dude it isn't all curled up well i, I mean unless that. your pubes are perfectly to... straight oh uh, well okay <laughs> you have you bangs know. down there bangs yes sorry Smooth, we should tough. stop we should stop talking about this anyways you look like somebody who knows how to use a bow and arrow oh. in in a really like in yeah. an aggressive mm-hmm like people who would protect their house with a gun. Yeah. If yeah, somebody yeah. broke in your house, you look like a guy who would like oh. pull a bow and arrow. Yeah, and be like, like a hatchet. 
some sort of uh, weapon. Yeah, non traditional. Like, oh, somebody who could use weapons. Blow dart. Oh my oh, god! I need some more tribal tats. I think for... you need to. Yeah, just put some feces on the end of the. I think your mailman's gonna come give you some mail. Oh, the mailman's coming (laughs) while we're recording. This is gonna be fucking great. Maybe we'll introduce you to the mailman. He's really cool. He's a nice guy. He's got sick hair. He does have badass dreads. Yeah. All right. Are we back? We're back. Are we back? I had a nice little conversation with him. Yeah, turns Dave. All only mail Dave got was just fucking garbage. Excuse me. Yeah, it was garbage. I mean, that's another thing. When, you know, you transition to living alone, dude, it's just bills and... Garbage. 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 Yeah. But it's all good. Um, yeah, he seemed nice. He's a super he nice guy. Name. That was really cool. We should have well, had I mean, him he, on the pod, He sees honest. my name whenever he drops off my mail. Hey, Jesus, what are, what are we doing here? This is a climbing podcast. Yes. This is a climbing podcast. All right, guys. So, uh, this week, we had a really cool author, climber, explorer, adventurer... Chris Kalman. Chris Ka- fellow podcast fellow host. Fellow podcast host of he The run, Cutting Edge. Yeah, the... Um, AAC? Yep, the AAC's Cutting Edge. He's the host of that. He is an author. He wrote an amazing book that we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time talking about, and we're really excited to have him on the podcast to promote it. It's called As Above, So Below. So Below. Yes. Um, we're gonna we'll talk about a special offer for that book here in a second. Yeah. He's also a guidebook author. He wrote the Index Town Walls guidebook for Index Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a climber, he's oh. put up first ascents like all over the world. Epic adventure style climbing, exactly right. All yeah, all over the world. Really cool stuff. And it's awesome to talk to somebody who's not necessarily what Dave and I like to do, who's into like bouldering as much as we are, and a yeah, little bit of a new refreshing. perspective. Yeah. And the the book itself deals with uh, it's a story of a father son going on a alpine climbing adventure, and we won't talk too much about what happens, but it's really really intense and extremely uh, it is it is absorbing when you're reading it because yeah. In my opinion, um, as above, so below <clears throat> is going to find its place in the pantheon of great climbing literature yeah. first of all it's fiction it's fiction which is really rare for a guy like chris who's written for every major climbing magazine in america yeah. has worked for the alpinist um not heavily non-fiction yeah all he's an essayist kind of like op-ed stuff and he's like you know what i'm gonna go to third person and write not, some fiction that does not seem like an easy thing to be able to switch between the two because i know you for example are someone who really likes writing but you don't write fiction that much slash at all never do. well the thing about that is like every young writer wants to be a fiction writer so when i was in college at iowa i was taking like undergrad writers workshop classes yeah. on creative writing and fiction i was like oh my god i'm gonna be the next blibbity blop it turns out i sucked and i was terrible <laughs> And I can't imagine uh, going back or trying to figure out how to write in third person again when I'd have to like harken back to my college days. And he did that. Peter Heller did that too. The great author, Colorado writer, Peter Heller has written three bestsellers. Well, but he was a a great, anyway, we're talking about Chris Kalman. Um, So we do have a great offer for you guys too. I would really, I really want to spread the word on As Above, So Below. It's a beautiful book. It's a novella. And it's, Um, it's, it's rare you get to read good fiction about climbing. You know, it's, it's definitely something that anyone who likes climbing should check out. And the interplay of like 
death and loss and climbing and relationships and how climbing affects relationships. This book touches on all that. So Chris has a website called chriscalman.com. If you go to that website and type in the promo code THUNDER, you're going to get 25% off the book. The book is $24.99. It's hardcover. It's it's gorgeous. Gorgeous book. Yes. Um, with gold leaf on the front. It has a knit hardcover, uh, beautiful illustrations in it. Um, so he's offering 25% off to mm-hmm. all our listeners. I highly, yeah, Dave, highly recommend you order this from Chris. Dave and I both finished it in, in one sitting. Um, yeah, you'll finish it in a sitting. It's three-hour read maybe, two, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah, very engrossing. And it will stick in your craw for some time. Yeah, like man. I struggled with that book for like a month after mm-hmm. reading it. Like the implications of what happens at the end yeah. of that book. Very thought. It raises oh. a lot of questions for people who do extreme styles of climbing. He definitely touches on it yeah. in the interview, like why, why he wrote, his yeah. mindset that he had going into the book. Mm-hmm. This is a fascinating interview. We don't, you know, the crazy thing is we don't talk a lot about like the art of rock climbing. Yeah. But Chris is such an interesting and prolific and thoughtful writer that we really wanted to talk about the art aspect yeah. of his life. And it's, I mean, the climbing, climbing saturates pretty much everything we talk about, right? Like the books about climbing. Yeah, for sure. He's a climbing author slash writer and he does other stuff, but he, he's also a life lifer, you know? So if you're a creative in the climbing world, this podcast <laughs> is going to be right up your mother flipping alley dog that was a nice save there thanks yeah we are thanks. pcf we don't need to we're do fucking that. we are fucking we're outside child friendly yeah all right so cool fucking kids can listen to anything yeah check it out uh we'll see you on <laughs> the <laughs> check it out we'll see you on the flippy flip all right bye 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 don't give my respect now don't say my heart yeah what have you been doing during the pandemic dude like what were you doing when it hit and what have you been doing since um Okay, let's see. <laughs> Prior to pandemic, um, it's like hard to remember now. The like beginning of March, <laughs> two years ago. It, it's actually it feels like it's been a long time. Yeah. It hasn't really been in the grand scheme. But before the pandemic, I was getting married in June. Oh, congratulations! So, thanks, thank you. Um, we're still going to get married, but it's not going to be in June anymore. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I was, I was uh, trying to do a lot more freelance work than I had like in the past year. So like 2020, I was like, I really want to do a lot more. And I don't care if it's gear reviews or, um, you know, news wires or whatever, like, you know, doesn't matter. I just want bylines and I want to publish as much as I can and just keep getting my name out there. Um so I was working really hard at that and I was actually doing a lot of gear reviews, which is something I had sworn off at a certain time in the past, but <laughs> yeah, that's a rough, who were you doing them for? Uh, Alpinist. And that was, oh, right that on. was like a big part of why. So I have a pretty good relationship with their digital editor, Derek. Yeah. And, Derek Franz. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's a great guy. I really enjoy working with him and, um, uh, you know, like it, every editor's different and every publication is different. And I don't, there's no point part of me that like wants to slag on anyone or 
you know, it's just, I think individual writers find publications that they have good relationships with and, and editors, they have good relationships with, with yes. and want to work with. Yes. And it's just like, sometimes it feels like just a knife through butter. You're just like, yeah. cool. First draft, almost done. Like change, change, change. All right, cool. We're good. Thanks. Handshake. And sometimes it feels like pulling teeth. I don't know when and why, but like, I try and avoid the latter as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it finds you though. Sometimes yeah, it, sometimes it you does. And, and like, sometimes it's your fault. I, I'll take credit or responsibility. You know, I've, I'm sh- I've, I think I'm less this way now, but in the past, I think I was probably a pain in the ass to work with. Like I would say big credit to Katie Ives for sure. Cause yeah. some of my earlier articles for Alpinist, like, she would say, Hey, I think you should do X. And I'd be like, Nope, I'm going to do uh, ABC. And she's <laughs> like, no, 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 trust me. Like, I think X would work better. And you know, I just pushed her a lot and she stuck with me. So, um, yeah. That I, takes I a lot not... of hootspot, dude, to when the editor is like, Hey, I think you should do X. Generally I'm like, all right, even if I don't agree with it, I'm going to do it. Cause I want this to be fucking over, get to the fourth yeah. draft send it to the copy editors and get it over with. Well, chutzpah or hubris. Um, <laughs> kind of the same I, thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that was at a point in my career where I never thought that writing was going to be like, it was never like this was going to pay the bills. This was never going to be what I did for a living. It was just this random thing I did on the side. And I thought of it as art and not work. And I was like, had very strong opinions about what was right or what was wrong for a certain piece. And, um, it's really fascinating because sometimes those opinions were right, but sometimes they were wrong too. And, and like, I've had to learn a lot and I don't regret being hard headed at the start because that's kind of how you develop your voice. But then you have to learn that it's not all about your voice and you have to like take your audience into account. And that's something that editors are like masters of, you know, because they're, they're writing chiefly for an audience. That's what it means to edit for like a magazine. Is that what you had a hard time with when you like broke into the industry is understanding the audience of particular publications because you know, urban climbers, Mm. whole dichotomy is a hell of a lot different from Alpinist, which is different from mm-hmm. Rock and Ice, which is different from Gripped, which is, di- you know what I mean? Was that something yeah. you struggled with? No, I don't think so. It no. wasn't that I struggled to understand it. It was that I didn't give two shits. <laughs> I was like, I would, no, and I mean, this is going to sound arrogant, but just keep in mind that I've kind of come fuller circle on this. For me, like I was the kid that wrote from kindergarten till college and didn't share it with anyone. And I had journals and journals and like volumes of work. And the reason I didn't share it with anyone was because I didn't want, I didn't want the accolades that I might receive or like the, you know, support or like the kind words to ever influence my work. Like if I wrote only for myself, I was going to write purely what I thought was great work. And I wasn't ever going to like cheapen the work by being like, oh, I know people like if you write about sex. So I'm going to write about sex. You know, I was like as anti-commercialist about my work as you could get. Um, 
and again, I think that's like, I, I don't regret that because it kind of allowed me to develop my own ideas about what makes good writing, which really just ends up being your style or your voice. But the thing is, it's also incredibly solipsistic. Like it's, it's, right. it's narcissism, <laughs> really. I mean, it's like, who cares other than you? Like you're literally only writing for yourself. <laughs> That's fine as long as you don't then ever ask anyone else to read it. Yeah. So, but what I've learned is like if you're going to ask people to read your work, you're asking them for a gift, like the gift of their attention, their time, their yeah. energy. I mean, they could be watching Netflix, you know? So if you're not going to take them into account when you work on something, that's very selfish. You're asking them for favors, but you're not throwing them a bone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, how did you come full circle then? Be was that, was like Fringe's Folly the last brick that <laughs> fell off that wall? Uh, because then you shared it with everybody. Like, that's how that's I discovered really, you. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, maybe <laughs> Fringe's Folly was the last, the last uh, brick, as you put it. Um, at the time that I was writing Fringe's Folly, I had a lot of resentment around, like, you know, I, I would go to outdoor retailer shows and I always felt like I was banging down the door of a club that I actually didn't even want to be a part of. Yeah. And so all of that, like, angst, you know, that was all going into Fringe's Folly. And... What, hold on. What does that mean? You're banging oh. on the door of you're like hitting the clubhouse trying to get in, but really you don't like explain that. Well, like, you know, um, you, I wanted to make a living as a climbing writer. Oh like I wanted God. to have, Mistake I wanted number to have one. like, yeah, right. I mean, that's not even a thing, <laughs> no. which is, you know, you just have to learn that eventually. Um, but I wanted to have like, you know, La Sportiva or Patagonia or whoever, you know, company XYZ, like sending me emails being like, hey, we really need a writer to go down. To, you know, <laughs> I didn't I didn't know like how it worked or didn't work. And I just was like, that's my dream. That's what I want to do. And so I would go to like an OR show and and like work really hard on these email pitches to set up meetings and nothing would ever come of it but but then i would look at the industry and i would have these strong opinions about how i thought it should change which yeah. was like you know i felt like sexism was rampant in advertising just like overt objectification of the female form okay I don't want to get into details about that because because I've seen both sides of the argument from both sides of the like gender spectrum. Some people are like, no, that's celebrating the female body. And others are like, no, it's obviously objectifying it. Whatever. Dude, you had like, that argument in public, by the way, if I dude, remember like four years so ago. So many. Holy so cow, many. that was intense. Yeah, that was just like one of like, again, like I, so like there are these personality types. I think it's like Myers Briggs or something. Um, a therapist that I've seen has told me that I have a personality type that sees the world, sees what they think is wrong with it. And is like, it, 
it's like a sliver under their fingertip and they can't rest until the world fixes itself. Oh no, <laughs> dude, you are living in the wrong era. Do you, for remember, that. do you remember what your letters were? <laughs> My letters? No, I can't. I, I, I honestly, oh, I don't even think it was the Myers Briggs. I think it's a different one. So, but. so my question for you is: You went from you know, like I want to be a climbing writer to now you're realizing, like, hey, I want to make writing my my living. Like, what was that transition like? Where did you realize you're like I can actually do this for a living? It's just writing. Oh yeah. So, um, this is an interesting story and. And uh, I'll try not to make it last too long. Hey, man. Yeah, um, it sounds interesting. Yeah, if it's, <laughs> if it's interesting, you can make it last as long as well, you want, dude. You never know. That's another thing as a writer. You learn is like the things you think are interesting. Not everyone else does a lot of the time. So Most we'll of the time, yeah. Um, so I was interning at Alpinist. Yeah. I was interning for free. Um, I was paying my own room and board. Uh you know, they were giving me the opportunity they could afford to give me. Um, and, uh, it was like, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is never going to work. Like I, I figured interning at Alpinist was like the height of my career potential at that point. And I was, I, I was like doing these hundred, no, he's like 200 word blogs for this company called more is like a sunglass. I don't even know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I got this email from a friend who I'm not going to name just cause I don't, it's probably doesn't matter, but whatever. I'm not going to name them Uh prominent figure in the outdoor industry. Who's a really good friend of mine and a mentor. And he said, Hey, I have this guy who um, he writes for the New York times and he's and he does a bunch of other things and he's looking for some help with his writing wow um, there are a number of things that he just you know wants help with um i've i've been thinking about putting him in touch with you but i gotta know like can you can you do a good job yeah. because this is valuable to me like i don't want to i don't want you to do a half-assed job um and I basically was like, yeah, definitely I'll do this. <laughs> um, and so he wow. put me in touch and, uh, the guy basically gave me an assignment and this was, um, about six years ago. He gave me an assignment. Um, I did the assignment, sent it back. He said, this was great. Oh, oh. And I was like, had just spent like three months interviewing at Petzl like oh, wow. multiple multiple rounds of like on the phone interviews like assignments i built like this they they like strung me along for so long oh, and then God. they finally they finally were like we're actually not going to select anyone for this position we're going to oh, hire Jesus. a different job instead wow I, and i was devastated because yeah. i was like that i was, was like it. yeah working for petzl this is my chance yeah um anyway so this opportunity came along I, I did well on the assignment. Um, and so the guy said, okay, what's your rate? <laughs> I was like, what's my rate? Um, <laughs> That's always a stressful uh, question. You're like, oh, so man. So I, I instantly called my friend in the industry and I was like, hey, what's my rate? And he was like, well, I, I don't know. You know, um, uh, this guy, he's not like a climbing bum. Like he's a real life 
dude, you know, you can probably quote like a reasonable rate. And in my mind, I was just like, cool, a hundred bucks an hour. (laughs) So I I sent him an email. I was like a hundred bucks an hour. He sent me an, actually, he didn't send me an email back. His assistant did. Uh And his assistant was like, Chris, we were very interested at the rate that you sent over. We do have people on our legal team that that charge less than that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, the guy got in touch with me and he was like, "How about fifty an hour?" And uh, you know, I had one of these moments where I was like, "Oh, you mean two and a half times more than I've ever made in my life for exactly. anything? I'll take it." Holy <laughs> shit! Um, and. I've been working with him ever since. Who and is it? This, Can you say who that is? So, um, I, I'm not gonna at this point. Um, okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I I like I would want to talk with him first and sure. just make sure. Yeah, I, I, I think he, I think he wouldn't care. But you know, it's uh, it's a big. I should have asked him, but. We have hundreds of thousands of listeners, so it's better that you <laughs> yeah, not make a mistake. So you get your $50 an hour, Which and, is awesome. and you're still working with this dude. Have you upped yeah. your rate? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, what I've done is I've upped my hours. And okay. we at this point, I have basically a retainer with him. Um, I still keep track of my hours. Honestly, he's never like checked on them, but... I do about 15 hours of work a week and that pays the bills. God, that's and awesome, man. It's awesome. And it's just like, dude, it's luck. And it's, and like, I've, I've just been, become more and more grateful. Um, that's like one of the big things that's come out of this whole COVID epidemic or pandemic for me is just, uh, I've never felt more grateful for all the things I have, you know, and it's just, I have good health and my family's in good health and I have a loving fiance and I have good work. And I, and the guy that I've been working with all this time, super awesome, treats me super good. Like he's been there for me. He's helped me in other like independent writing event, uh, not adventures, but ventures that like, don't benefit him at all. You know, um, he's been a big a mentor too. So, and you know, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Like this sure friend that did, hooked dude. us up. I mean, maybe I did, but everyone else does too. Like you just go through your life and you try and do your best to be a good person and opportunities rarely fall in your lap. At least that's how it seems to me. Yeah. But you got to, you know, I was, I've been writing my brains out since I was a kid. Um, so I think it's like, you gotta, you gotta keep your skills sharp, even when you don't have opportunities. Cause when that one opportunity does come knocking and they say, here's your assignment, let me see how it goes. Like you want to nail it. Oh yeah. <clears throat> you do not want to be in the state where you like need four weeks to like sharpen your knife. For sure. I've been in that situation before where I've just been like, I'm not getting any writing work. And then boom, it happens. You're like, I fucking suck right now. This is going to be, this is going to be like a lot of long nights. Right. Right. Um, 
So, and, you know, probably like I was doing a lot of output at that time with Alpinist. I mean, in that sense, being at Alpinist at that time probably helped a lot because I was just volume. Like volume is really big. Yeah. And you just don't care what it is. It can be a fucking gear review. It, c- it can be a feature. It can yeah. be an interview or like personality piece. You're willing to do it all. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like I do try and be more selective about my work and, and the work I have with this guy fortunately allows me to do that. But because of other career aspirations and sort of like, you know, ways I want to level up at this point, I'm sort of willing to, like, I went through my phase where I was like, cool, I'm not going to do a gear review for a hundred bucks because I can just spend that time better. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, actually there's just, if I like write one sentence in a gear review, that's really funny or really like moving or like touches someone or just makes them remember my name. Right. And then they look me up and buy a book or whatever, or join my email list. Like that's worth more than the hundred bucks. One person. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, so I'm just trying to get my work out there and, and connect with the people that, that, uh, drive with it. That's all. Um, that's like all it comes down to. What's your other work then? So you've got your, like, what's the other 25 hours of the week that you're filling up beyond the New York times hookup? Well, I'm working on a second book right now. Yes. Um, which I'm super excited about. And, uh, it's really funny because like, I don't have any more confidence after the first book. (laughs) Like (laughs) I had, maybe I have a little more, but like, not around whether people will like it or not. Like yeah, I have yeah. a little more confidence about whether I'll be able to raise the funds. But um, anyway, so I'm working on this book. I'm super excited about, but also very nervous. And then um, I've just been freelancing a lot, but that's kind of been on hold. That's tough um, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I've been pitching twice as much and getting zero, zero, just nothing. Um, for, for like really good pitches too. Like I've pitched like 12 things that I've seen then come out in, in, oh. you know, the digital sphere, like yeah. from the publication I pitch them to, uh. you know? <laughs> which is fine. I mean, I don't blame them. They're, they're, they're straight up. They're like, dude, we can't pay you to do that right now because we're, we can barely afford to pay our staff. That's just where it is. Yeah. I'm nervous about the publishing industry, like climbing magazines, as well how i mean all of their ad revenue is gone i know which is so paradoxical because like their viewership is up so so hard yeah i mean that's true maybe maybe that online revenue is enough to keep them i mean i'm i work for a climbing magazine as well i I don't it's any day it could just be like see you later dude yeah we don't have money for a joker like you right it's just fucking scary it is scary. I mean, everything it's not, is. It's like, dude, I have friends that have been furloughed at Patagonia and, you know, Arcteryx is, has laid off a bunch of employees. Like you think about companies like Outdoor Research or like, you know, just like not the biggest fish in the pond, right? Mm-hmm. Like couples, couple sizes down and you're just like, oh man, I wonder if they're going to make it through this. I really hope so. Yeah, a company like OR is so well diversified. Hopefully, you know what I mean. Yeah. They're they're from mm-hmm. like the Seattle Sombrero all the way to like high tech Alpine jackets. But 
and they do a big military <laughs> business too. Oh, so. do they really? Mm, well, that'll yeah. never go away. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't seem like <laughs> ever. Okay, since we're talking about writing, dude, yeah. let's get into the book. Mm. Um, as above, so below. So, what was the? So, you've been kind of an essayist and an op-ed writer your entire career since I followed your career, which was pretty early on that I found out mm. about you. Um, almost 12 years ago, 10 years, uh, eight years, no, eight, eight or 10 years ago. Anyway, um, mm. so you're always writing in the first person. You're always <laughs> writing nonfiction. Yeah. What was the uh, impetus to be like, oh, fuck, you know what I really want to do yeah. is write Fiction. third person, which is <laughs> really hard if you haven't practiced it and you want to write fiction. Like, can you tell us a story yeah. about how you stepped onto that road? And do it so well, by the way. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, it's thanks, so good, Didi. Man. Thank you. Um, that was really nice, guys. Thanks. Um, well, shit. I mean, that's the funny thing is like you said, maybe eight years ago or 10 years ago, well, yeah. I'm 35. So before those eight to 10 years, there were 20 years where I was writing fiction and, you know, creative. Mm -hmm. Like I, I remember at a time in my life, I guess in college where I was like, I'm never going to write about climbing because it's too stupid to write about. <laughs> you Correct. Know? Correct. Like, I, I've always been inspired by the classic authors. Like, not always. Actually, in, like, elementary school, was I was really big into sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and middle school, I guess, sci-fi still. But then in high school, when I started reading, like, Hemingway and Steinbeck and Fitzgerald and Salinger and, like, all that, I was like, wow, this is it's just, like, exquisite. I was like, yeah. I didn't know that... Um, writing could be so like it doesn't even matter what the plot is because yeah. the words like i would just you know just relish every single page like reread paragraphs because i'm like oh i can't believe yeah. how beautifully written that is so that was like the that was why i wrote because i wanted to create something that had that quality to it that made readers just like go over and over and over again back to a paragraph that, that moved them. Um, wow. The climbing writing was the first piece I ever wrote. I sent off to urban climber. This was oh. in college and uh, they had this, this like competition that was like the finish line or the last word or something. And it was like, whoever won that back page won like a crash pad. Um, <laughs> yeah nice. i got i got that uh that was the first article about climbing i ever wrote and um the article was about breaking into my school's climbing gym before it was before the gym was even open oh wow with with my roommate <laughs> and we were two of like three climbers in the whole school this was in southern maryland and uh we opened up a box of holds uh, stood on each other's shoulders to like screw the, screw a boulder problem into the wall, <laughs> sent it, sent it without chalk, uh, unscrewed it, put it back in the box, oh. taped it over. Oh, and it's disappeared. Awesome. Right. Right. It totally is like, Oh, I wish I had like so many more stories like that, but I don't. <laughs> um, but anyway, that, 
that got published and um and then like the next three or four things i sent in places got published and i was like wow this is really easy yes <laughs> send it to, to, at this point like you know i probably have like a one in ten pitch rate or something mm-hmm. which is funny but were you sending things on spec at that time or were you actually oh yeah yeah no i yeah. Was, okay. was sending fully fledged written pieces that i had poured over and thought of as final drafts and you're just like um, surprise here's your next feature yeah, yeah. so yeah. but it was it, again it was always this side thing and when i got out of college i worked on a trail crew in rocky mountain national park mm-hmm. for the park service and then went through kind of an awkward phase between like broke up with a girlfriend and was missing a front tooth and <laughs> quit my job and was living on a pot farm in Oregon, was unemployed. Oh, was dude, like it sounds trying like to you're doing my... great. Doing yeah, great. Right? <laughs> pot farm sounds a lot more glamorous than it is, to be honest. Yeah, pot farm owners aren't the most stable people sometimes. Not always. But um and I, and actually during that time I tried to quit climbing so that I could write my first novel. I was like, I'm going to do this thing and didn't have anything to do with climbing, you know, and it's a full manuscript. It's like 50,000 words. No one, no one, like 10 people have read it. Um, but anyway, I, I got a job as a climbing ranger at Mount Rainier kind of out of the blue, mm-hmm. like in this period that I was totally unqualified for. <laughs> and I worked that job for two summers. Awesome. Um, and during the second summer, one of my coworkers died in the course of a rescue. Oh, uh, there was a team of Texans that was kind of high on the mountain on the Emmons Winthrop route and took a bad fall and they all would have died, you know, and this guy uh, along with the other Rangers that were there saved their lives and he ended up dying um, cause he took this, this fall down the mountain oh, and that was a wake up call for me. It, it taught me two things. One, I wasn't really doing what I wanted to do, um, with my life, even though it was awesome. I mean, there was a great crew yeah. to work with and being a park service employee is a proud job. You know, it's just, you're, a, you're a public servant and that's super cool. But it wasn't like I wanted to write. That was my dream. And the other thing was I didn't belong there. Like I just didn't have the skill set and the experience. And I was a liability to my team. And I just didn't feel comfortable with that. Mm. So I quit. And I started putting all of my energy into writing. And that just the way I would describe it is like at first it was like a leaky faucet. And each drop, like in the middle of the night, you know, yeah. like that was like a paycheck and it'd be like weeks or months between paychecks. And I just applied pressure for years and years. And it was like, became more of a trickle and then sort of like yeah. a steady little stream. And the gig that I'm working now that, that pays really well, like that came along at a make or break period. And if I hadn't gone that, I don't know what I'd be doing now, but I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I don't wow. know. I would have gone back to school or something, I, you know. I've heard you say somewhere, I think it might have been in some other podcast, how you think that when you 
you have some free time or anything, you're like, oh, you know, like I'll just wait till inspiration comes to work on my passion. But then you say that it's actually really comes down to really putting that time aside and working hard at that passion. I think that, I don't know, that seems like it was very clearly illustrated by uh, your progression and ending up where you are Mm -hmm. now with just working at it consistently. Yeah, I think you're right. And, um, you know, like I don't have any regrets and I wouldn't like nobody in my life ever encouraged me to be a writer, which was probably wise. Like it's hard to encourage someone to do something that's so low percentage. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, such a, like a small chance that you're going to succeed at it. But I, <laughs> I mean, like I could have known in elementary school that I would be spending hours and hours of my life writing forever. I think I did know. And so my, my advice to anyone out there would be like, just don't fight yourself. You know, if there's something, you know, you're going to do like (laughs) ad infinitum, just do it. And, and if you can find a way to monetize it, start and start small and like, don't care, you know, don't let it get you down. If you only make a hundred bucks in your first year, whatever. Um, yeah. But just like, there's no, you could not monetize it too, like whatever, but, but don't fight yourself. Just like, accept, you know, if you're a painter and, and that's what you do, then do it. Like do it as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And it, <clears throat> another thing about that statement is like when, um, maybe this is a two part comment, First of all, when I started following Fringe's Folly, was it up in 2012? That seems about the time. 2000. Seems about seems about right. Yeah, I caught you yeah. right when it started. Um, I wrote you. Do you remember that I wrote you an email? You might not remember this. I don't know why you'd remember. No, I it, think but I do. I wrote you an email. I was like, I fucking, I really dig your vibe. What I was thinking when I was writing that is like, I really liked the passion in the attitude of your writing. Mm. Now this is just Thanks. give me, just give me a second here. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but the, the writing itself was pretty rough. Like it was just mm. full of aggression and passion. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really responded to that, but I was kind of like, well, I mean, this guy's an okay writer, right, but what right, right. you have done um, through means that we'll probably talk about that uh, birthed into the world as above, so so below is fucking Chris. I mean, like really, really astounding. All of that hard work mm. and all of that dedication, like really um, objectively paid off. Like you are mm, thanks. a better writer by 50 degrees in eight years. As above, so below, mm. it just knocked my socks off. I couldn't get it out of my head for like the next two months. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, I think there's some truth to what you're saying. Like I did progress, um, and there was a lot of hard work, but I also cared about that book more than I ever cared about fringes folly. Yeah. And that's, that's been an important lesson to me too. Um, people can re can see right through it. If you're half-assing something, even if you can't, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, like first drafts to me almost always read like final drafts. 
and they're not they're not like oh when you like you're writing when you're looking yeah, at yeah, it, my writing my writing yes. when i write something i i put the last period down and i'm like totally send it it's good and it never is it never it's that's just, awful. i mean for some people maybe that that's the case no and i've had Dude, I've had times where it's almost like if you've ever like had a spectacular onsite where you're like, I don't know what happened. I blacked yeah. out and it was it went it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had a few times and that's like people call that the muse, you know, but like those are very few and far between. And so what I with Fringe's Folly, I had this chip on my shoulder. I was like, no one's paying me. Very few people are even reading it. So whatever. I don't care. I'll do you know, I'll do one draft and I'll push send. Oh. And then hilariously, <laughs> I would get frustrated that no one was reading it. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, as above, I mean, I spent probably three or four years working on that on wow. and off. So it was never like working on it consistently for like six months, but I would work on it and I would lose steam and I'd be like, this is never going to see the light yeah. of day. And then I'd get some little break, you know, or, or a big break. Like I got into this yeah. um, writing program in Banff and I was like, whoa, maybe this is going to be something. And so I'd get really psyched and like put tons of effort into it and just like pour over it for hours and hours and agonize and stay up late at night working. And then, you know, like after Banff, I was like, cool, I'm going to find an agent and a publisher because that's what happens after yeah. you go to Banff. Was like no <laughs> everyone was like they were either like it's too short or it's climbing fiction and that doesn't exist that's not a thing false or jeff long yeah hey right i mean and i'm not the first like jeff childs have you ever read stone palaces it's no. got some incredible climbing fiction yeah jeff long's climbing fiction i mean it's it's yeah, like uh, it's trade stuff but it's fucking great i love it yeah. And James Salter's solo faces. I mean, yeah, there's, James Salter. there's, and even actually as a kid, I read a book called banner in the sky, even before I was a climber. It's a fiction story about this kid who loses his dad in a climbing accident. And then he goes Whoa. on to try and climb the mountain that killed his dad. Ooh. It's a badass. I mean, it's like, <laughs> dude, it's, it's better than my book for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good and i could still it's called uh banner in the sky i think it's james ramsey ullman oh wow that's, james ramsey ullman oh, dude, we'll i'm gonna, to, I'm we'll gonna do, do some check, ordering yeah. on that yeah, you should sure. fact check it i could be wrong but um anyway so there's there's history out there i was just like honestly the reason i wanted to do fiction was because you can say things you can't say when it's real life yeah yeah and you can publish it where you where you please when it's fiction. If it's nonfiction, I mean, unless you're yeah. writing a book of essays, right? You have to find a publisher. As an aside, so I've wanted to be a writer since I was like in second grade as well. The mm, worst cool. fucking thing I ever read. I was just in college in like late high school and college. I was a huge Bukowski fan. Oh like, yeah, sure. I own. Uh, what like seventy five of his books? A lot of books. Wow. Like I, I own wow. some. I own some first editions. I own every book he's ever written. Yeah. And I remember in college, he said that he never writes a second draft. 
on anything, wow. short stories. And I was like, fuck, man, I'm going to live my life just like Bukowski. <laughs> and I suffered so much trauma and failure from like, hey, what yeah. do you think of my final draft? It's like, God, it reads like a first draft. Mm. <laughs> you got to work at it. Yeah, that's kind of like being like, uh, you know, I'm going to be like Michael Jordan or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, my first I mean, try. <laughs> Bukowski was like, yeah, he was he was an exceptional individual. And he also lived a life that no none of us want. He was know? a total unicorn, man. He's just a yeah. unicorn. It would be, yeah, it'd be like um, me saying, I want to, you know what? My intention is to be like Chris Sharma. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm going right. to the crag right now. Totally. And I'm going to be Chris I'm Sharma. Gonna be I'm going to do it. I'm going to cry. It's going to be a fucking disappointing day. Right. Some people, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's genetic or nurture nature, but like, you know, he had to go through the, the fire to get to where he, he was. He got whipped by his dad and beat up, you know, had Bukowski. that hideous yeah. face. Yeah, Bukowski. <laughs> I was like, not, not Sharma, to my Come knowledge. <laughs> Sharma's got a hideous face. All of the women listeners are just like, fucking, uh, Kelman's blind. Oh my God. <laughs> His back fridge is falling called Sharma hideous. <laughs> yeah, Bukowski, Bukowski was definitely like, suffered in the fire and that made him into a unicorn some but my yeah. my guess is the point of that whole story is my guess is he was just lying that he was just saying that to be like this is gonna enhance my legend even though nobody at the time was reading where's him. the footy uh, yeah exactly <laughs> everybody <laughs> everybody has I mean, to write 15 who drafts knows? that's all there is to it but let's get back to as above yeah. so below i I wanted to ask, so you you mentioned just a second ago how you like fiction because it lets you write about mm. things that, that you kind of want to, but also it lets you, just because it's fiction doesn't mean that the questions that you kind of uh, tackle in the, in the story aren't necessarily really interesting questions that are relevant to, to climbers, you know? Like in that book, yeah. there's like a lot of struggle with the, one of the main characters and his pursuit of alpinism and how he knows it's kind of dangerous but he also it's so important to him and i think that, that's just like an avenue that it's hard to explore in any other medium i guess i don't know i, mm. I don't really <laughs> i i can tag yeah, a question on yeah, exactly tag a question onto that for me please is no. that, what, like you're talking about dave like right the dad yeah okay so is that something that you were uh, cognizant of that was like stirring in your brain is the relationship with like climbing and mm. how it um, affects the ancillary relationships we have in life negatively, positively, destructively. Were you thinking about that or was that just born subconsciously? Yeah. I mean, was that okay? that's a good question. Um, so I, I pretty much always think of climbing as sort of a microcosm for the real world. Right. And that's why when you see something like racism or sexism and climbing, it's so frustrating because you're like, Hey man, this is this micro world I where know. we can actually make a difference yeah. and, and fix this stuff. Um, and it's like, if we can't fix it here, how are we supposed to fix it in the real world? Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so I'm, I'm big on metaphors. And the relationship between Dave and his son, Aiden, was very much sculpted based upon what I perceive as the relationship between 
big gear companies and sponsors and the media and young impressionable climbers that want to make a name for themselves. Okay. So, so, you know, and, and like, I'm not trying to point any fingers. This is systemic and I'm not like, you know, you can't, I, I don't have any interest in throwing anyone under the bus or any company or anything, but what we have is a phenomenon, right? And the phenomenon is this, you have young, often males, uh, who are going off to climb these super high risk, uh, objectives and serious, very risky mountains and they're dying. And the ones that don't die and succeed get sponsored. And then they go on to do more of them. And then the ones that do die get grants made in their name. And then other young people win those grants and go on to do the same things. And if they don't die, they get sponsored. You see, it's this cyclical thing. And I, I was going down that path for sure. Uh, when I was younger and I had convinced myself that I was willing to die for climbing. Uh Um, and here's the up, here's like the, the little secret, the dirty little secret. You don't convince yourself that you're willing to die for climbing until, or you don't do it with any knowledge of what that actually means. You only do that as an ignoramus. Yeah. As soon as I started losing friends in climbing accidents and saw what it meant and saw like talk to parents and sat through a funeral, you know, then you know what it means. And suddenly you don't, you're not willing to die for climbing anymore. Yeah. And there are people out there for whom that's not going to be the case, you know, like Reinhold Messner or whatever, like, (laughs) you know, maybe the Hoover brothers or like, you know, Voitech or who knows, right? I mean, there are people for whom, nope, like we're going to go right up to the edge every day. And that's just how we live our lives. And that's, that's what matters to us. But dude, Joe Schmoke, Chris Kalman, or like Dave or Feedy, like we're not, we're not freaking Alex Honnold, you know, yeah. like what gives our life meaning is we're, Climbing is never going to be the thing we're best at. The thing we're best at is being like ourselves, being friends to the people we're friends with and being children and being brothers or sisters or whatever. That's what gives our life meaning. And that's what gives us value. Not, not climbing. Climbing's a piece and it's not a piece worth dying for. What the so fuck, was- Chris? Do you know what <laughs> podcast you're on? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, now <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're right. I got a little preachy. I got a little preachy. But it's like that's that was the opinion that I was trying to insert yeah. into the world. And if you say wow. that, like if I were to say that after someone who was an actual human died in a yeah. climbing accident, there would be a lot of legitimately angry people because you never want to, you never want to point at the dead and say, Hey, you made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's tricky. Those are tricky waters to navigate. But the thing is because that, because those are tricky waters to navigate and because we're really sensitive to criticizing decisions made by people that have left us, it was a voice and and an opinion that I felt was not 
getting uh, enough representation in our community. So by writing a fictional story where something really gnarly happens, you you can allow people to go there, you know? Yeah. Like, like if you do a good job of it, which I hope I did, did, people will empathize with those characters and they'll feel, you know, that's what, that's what fiction does. It allows you to imagine scenarios that haven't actually happened to you. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, David Stevenson is another great climbing writer that's written a bunch of fiction and he's got this collection of essays called warnings against myself. I mean, that's what as above, so below is, is for me, it's a warning against myself. Yeah. Don't make these mistakes. So basically we're talking about like metaphors and symbolism. This is going to be like a writing centric pod. I hope you're cool with that. You're a fucking writer and you love talking about writing. I'm sure. I I love it. I just feel bad that you're going to lose half your listeners. I don't care. I don't care. Um, And we won't, we won't. But when you're writing, um, some people have a knack for this and some people don't. Some people get lucky and some people are like intuitive about it. You seem intuitive. Were you building a structure out of symbolism for this whole book? Like before you wrote it? Cause a lot of people will write something and then they'll study it and whatever uh, literature 101 in college they'll be like, Oh, the banana stands for a penis or whatever. The umbrella <laughs> yeah, is a parachute. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Um, um, but it sounds like you were going for some symbolism out of the gates. So out of the gates, oh man, it's like so many stories. I, I feel like I'm long winded. No, no, this want, is what we want. I yeah. want to give a little context. Okay. So when I started writing as above, so below, I was living in Maryland at my, my girlfriend at the time. Now my fiance at her and her parents' house. Um, in the past like year I had lost like three or four people in climbing accidents. Um, I, I was in Maryland because her father had was dying of cancer. So I was seeing that whole process. And meanwhile, I was still trying to make it in this industry. And, and I had like booked a slideshow at the gunks at rock and snow, which is an awesome store. Mm, Yeah. And was out climbing the day before and a girl died a few routes over from me Fuck. and she was so pale and cyanotic by the time I, we got over there to help caterpillar the body out that I didn't even realize I knew her. She ended up being a friend of mine. Um, and I just, I didn't stop. Like I went climbing the next day after that and I didn't, I just never processed any of it. It was just sort of all sitting in there, you know? And, um, after Megan's dad passed away, I was sort of like, what, what the hell am I even doing? Like as, as troubling and and difficult as that was, he died with surrounded by loved ones. He lived a good life and he, he died a good death. Um, although it was far too early. And I was just like, God, why would anyone ever go off and die in the mountains? Um, and I just, and there's more of the story. I won't get into it, but like, I just, I felt frustrated. I felt really frustrated that I had kind of bought into this idea, um, of what makes a life worth living 
and I, and I have lots of friends. Like, meanwhile, I, as I'm getting disillusioned, I still have friends who are on that path, you know, and they're mm-hmm. like going down to El Chal 10 and they don't know how to ice climb and they've never put on crampons. And I'm like, I don't know if this is the best idea, yeah. you know, like, um, and so I just wanted to send a message and I just started writing the gnarliest thing I could write. <laughs> that was yeah. it. I was just like, I'm just going to start with this gnarly scenario. And it was keeping me up at night. I mean, I was, I didn't set out to write something. I, I literally couldn't stop myself. And you- that ended up being the middle part of the book. And it's, that's one of these instances where like the first draft was very close to the final, actually like part, part two of the book is pretty close to what poured out of me over like four nights. That's fascinating. Do you think you were purging because you couldn't like calculate what was going on in your life? You couldn't quantify it. And that was the way. That was one of the reasons. I mean, I've always written to like writing has always been something I do when I'm like depressed or angry or frustrated or sad not so much anymore because it's like now I just do it because it's my job. And actually, my life is just, I mean, I feel like an asshole when I'm saying this because I know lots of people are struggling right now, but I just have it really good. Like I've been really big into gratitude lately and I'm just really grateful. And I don't know, I don't feel as angry or depressed anymore because I just, I think I've just realized I don't have anything to complain about. What like, made I just you got angry. Good. What what was that anger and depression that fueled your writing before? Well, it was hard. Like I was trying to do the right thing and be a good boyfriend. You know, I ended up bailing on a cop dash award. We had a fully funded trip to go down to Patagonia and try and put up a new route. I bailed on that to to go be with my girlfriend and her family as her dad was, uh. you know, finishing the the last stages of his life. In retrospect, like obviously the right decision, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's embarrassing that I ever even wondered about it. But at the time I was like very driven. This was what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I wanted to be this climber writer guy. Um, and I really cared about putting up new routes in like very remote situations and pushing that envelope. Um, so it was just like, I was having a lot of internal dilemmas. I knew I was doing the right thing, but it didn't feel good. And I was like, the right thing should feel good. Like I shouldn't have any, any mixed emotions about this. And so there was some resentment, you know, that my friends were on this trip of a lifetime and they just replaced me with someone else. Um, which was the right thing to do for them. Like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, there was like resentment. And then I was somewhere where like I had to drive an hour to get to a pretty bad climbing gym. And that was the <laughs> only climbing options. And I was making no money. You know, I was just like broke living with my parent, my girlfriend's parents. Like it was just, and it was winter time, And, and just like, I didn't know what, yeah, I couldn't see the path forward. I just didn't know what was next. Yeah. I knew I was doing the right thing, but it didn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the moral of that story is the right thing is like a crapshoot to feel good. The right thing rarely feels good. The right thing can be actually traumatically painful most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's rarely the easy path. 
The wrong thing is yeah. easy path. That's why I stole the yeah, six pack we're right. drinking right now because that was easy path. <laughs> yeah. What were you gonna say? <laughs> so I'm I'm curious, uh, Chris. So you're working on a new book, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering. So the first one came from a place of there was a lot of turmoil a lot Mm. of things to process and now it seems like you're in a very different spot and i'm just kind of curious where your motivations coming for this book or or like what what's inspiring you for this one you know well this one is um this is the first time i'm talking about it so i'm a little nervous like i don't want to give it away but yeah yeah. i do want to talk about it a little bit um i've spent I've spent a lot of time in an area of Southern Chile called Cochamo. Yeah. And Cochamo is a beautiful place. It's, it's maybe my favorite place in the whole world. You run a I nonprofit to, to, um, for advocacy for the area, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we do have friends of Cochamo. It's a 501 C three. Um, we're sort of struggling right now to figure out exactly what our place is and how that's going to work. But, um, hopefully that continues to thrive. Okay. But yeah, this is just a place I care about very deeply and I care, you know, at first I cared about the climbing and then I cared about the ecosystem and the people. And now it's just like, I love the place. I could go there and not climb and be totally happy. Sit in the rain for 10 days and just be <laughs> geeking out on the beauty of it all. Yeah. But Cochamo is has a very uncertain future. It's not a national park. It's not a UNESCO world heritage site. It's largely a collection of private parcels. And as such, it really lacks the infrastructure to deal with all of the increase in visitation, which has been exponential. And it also lacks like a long-term stewardship plan. So not only are there not that many people that, um, that are able to like pick up trash or, or disseminate information about proper camping spots. But those people don't even, they lack the legitimacy. Like they don't have like a badge and a gun, you know, not that, I mean, guns, I don't ever want guns there, but um, they're not sponsored by like the, the federal government of Chile or something. Right. So I, I've watched the place change a lot. I've been down there seven times over a decade and uh, what it is now is not what it was when I first went. And my question is, what's it going to be in the future? And I wanted, again, I, I'd rather than, you know, talk straight up about Cochamo, I wanted to create, um, a fictional piece of writing that pitted against each other two two driving forces. One is the conservation narrative, which is like, uh, preserve and protect and establish parks and, you know, get people out there, right. You, you make media so that everyone falls in love with the place, because if you don't, industry is going to take it over, whether it's timber or, or hydroelectric dams or whatever mining. So that's one side, but then on the other side is industrial tourism, the kind of things that Abby warned about and the sort of thing where like, you know, you go to Yosemite Valley now and it's like, dude, that is not a wilderness. It used no. to be. No, it isn't. Right? I mean, that used to be this incredible wilderness environment. And so I think in the outdoor industry and like in the conservation sphere, we don't often check ourselves 
and we sort of think we're on the side of right and the people that we're against are, are on the side of evil. But I, I don't think it's that simple. And I yeah. think that the wilderness experience is a resource just like gold or, or timber. And that resource can be overmined and overharvested. And um, I just wanted to create a story that dove into that conflict. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the basis okay. of it. Ooh. There are inklings of that in I am <laughs> as above so below too in the yeah the, the talking about the Patagonia area yeah the, yeah right I mean that changed that's changed a ton too so yeah yeah that's okay but it's very be interesting about. you hit the I mean fucking I know, awesome I can't wait to read I know that. somebody <laughs> who would be very who's very passionate about that actually also. well I think I think most of us as climbers are because this is what's happening to climbing right? Climbing's yeah. not this fringe activity anymore. This is mainstream. And you can't be a climber that's been doing it for 10 years and not see the changes. You know, if you've been climbing for a while, you know, <laughs> like things have gotten very different and, uh, there are good sides of that and bad sides. Yeah. I, I was just going to say what are the good sides, but there are plenty of good sides. Well, better, the good sides gyms. are marketing leverage. Well, better gyms, yeah, but like we have like climbers lobbying in Congress, like going oh, to sure. Washington, D.C. and talking to Congress people and fighting for public lands at a time when that fight is like really dire, you know? Yeah. I mean, and and like all of the climbers out there who buy a Patagonia garment, like, you know, like that money goes into actually protecting important places. Did that happen? Like, I don't remember. Maybe you'll jog my memory. Like four years ago, the outdoor industry did something, went public in some way. And it was understood that they make, that the outdoor industry accrues $680 billion mm. of money annually for yeah. the United States economy. And yeah. that dovetailed precisely when Tommy was going to Congress to fight for the Arctic wilderness. Um, yeah. when other people go into Congress, I mean, you can be cynical and say, well, you know, the outdoor industry just makes money now. So now they have a voice instead of what, you know, what we've been screaming for what, like you mentioned, Edward Abbey, you know, right. screaming for shuttles and all the national parks, no cars, fuck that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once money in, is entered into the equation, oh, it's magic. I have a voice. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, there's plenty to be cynical about, but like cynicism is easy and unproductive. Actually doing something is hard and productive. <laughs> yeah. You know? Dude, you and should that's... see my cynicism. It is <laughs> fucking super well, hard. I mean, <laughs> I've got my fair share, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's like, it's kind of like a one-two punch. You have to like cynicism is what allows you to, to be critical and to push for change. Yeah. But then on the other side of it, like if all you do is cynicism, that's it. Like change also requires a plan and it requires momentum and it requires effort and, and compromise. I mean, for fuck's sake, like half the country can't stand or tolerate the other half of the country. But you know what? Like, it takes more than half the country to to make a bill that protects a place. 
Yeah. So if you can't compromise with people, you're not going to get anything done in Congress. And I don't know. I mean, cynicism is like the 220 hurdles, man. You can jump. Tell me more. Yeah. (laughs) You you can jump the first hurdle with your cynicism, but the finish, Uh you're not going to cross the finish line with it. Like you have to morph. There are like 15 more, 15 more hurdles and cynicism only jumps over one of them. And it can get yeah, you yeah. over the first one with great vigor. Might be your best jump, but you gotta yeah. fucking evolve a little bit, and that's really hard. Yeah. Just in our in our world right now, uh, let alone yeah. climbing. Fuck, boy. Totally. Let, let's not go into politics <laughs> right now. Let's not <laughs> do it. A, that's a can of worms. Um. So I think I read somewhere, maybe it was a base camp podcast from Climbing Magazine or uh, the Fern Line. I don't remember which, but you were talking about maybe one of your end goals is to write three books Mm -hmm. all around like 20 to 30,000 words, like the first novella. Yeah. And then put them all together and see if you can go out and get a big publisher. Is Is the new book that is kind of focusing on what you just spoke about going to be the second in that trilogy? Yeah, definitely. 100%. So that's, yeah, that's the goal. Um, And I've been really, really drawn lately to Jim Harrison. He wrote uh, Legends of the Fall. Yeah, Yeah, it's like incredible, incredible writer. And uh, yeah, that book, Legends of the Fall, like most, most people just know the third story because that was turned into a movie. But it's it's a collection of three stories, yeah. super heavy hitting. They're all badass, um, And it's so funny. So David Stevenson, I mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Um, he, he's been sort of a mentor to me and a friend and he helped me with as above, so below. And at the time that I was publishing that he was like, I was like, what should I do? You know, should I just wait until I've, I can like, should I put it together with other books or whatever, like other stories? And he was like, well, why don't you just write three of them and do like Legends of the Fall? And I was like, how could you even compare me? To <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that just made my year. That That's an American even, classic, like, that little oh, trilogy. Totally. Yeah. I have it on my bookshelf. It's so good. It's so and, fucking good. And yeah, so that, that actually was the inspiration for the idea. Wow. Um, was David really. Um, I think at that point I had actually hadn't read legends of the fall yet. I had read returning to earth, I think, or some, some other Harrison book. So he was like, have you read legends of the fall? And I was like, uh, I don't think so. He's like, you might want to check that out. It's fast. It's been man. like, it's a fast read and dude, I've got it on, on audio tape oh, and nice. there've been countless nights where I'll listen to that because I can't sleep. And half the time it works really great. Cause I'm just like, Oh, I'm uh, in such good hands. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I can relax. Like the writing is exquisite. I don't have to, there's not going to be any moment where I'm like, I could have done that better. But then the other, the other half of the time I can't sleep. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I have to rewind that paragraph. That was so good. What did he just do there? Like, how did he pull that off? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a couple of stories? So you tried to get, to find a publisher for as above, so below. Now this oh, yeah. is, uh, 
20,000 word novella. Yeah. Uh, just so you're taking it, its final its final version. What like hopefully our listeners will buy is stunningly beautiful. A beautiful green cover with gold leaf lettering. Um, uh, beautiful illustrations. Yeah. There it is right there, yeah. buddy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, just gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> so can you tell us some stories about your effort to try to find a publisher for the piece? Yeah, this is great. This is like a good way to come full circle um, <laughs> right. from where, from where we started our conversation. Um, so yeah, I came out of Banff and I was hyped. I was like, I had, I was getting in touch with an agent that represents, um, some heavy hitters, uh, and, uh, and had represented Banff graduates before. And I was like, yes, this guy's going to take me. And he was just <laughs> like, meh. Um, and then like, I was like, Mountaineers for sure will take it. And they were books. like, Mountaineers books. And they're great. Nothing against Mountaineers. Yeah. Uh, but they were just like, sorry, we don't do fiction. It's just not a thing. I like begged Patagonia books for yeah. just for five minutes of their time just to plead my case. And they were like, we don't do fiction. I was what? like, let me convince you. Yeah. And they were yeah. like, okay, you can try and convince us. And they're like, sorry, we don't do fiction. <laughs> um, I tried vertebrate press and they were like, we don't do Americans. I tried, um, <laughs> we don't do Amer- sorry, that's no like Amer- the whole world right now. No, well, I'm sure they would make an exception for like an American that like meant something, but they were like, who are you? Uh, you know, dude, you don't have, you don't- have how many Instagram followers. That's not what they said, but you know, it's like, yeah, I, they're in the UK. I'm in the US. Yeah, that's uh, the rub of it. And I think I tried um, Rocky Mountain Books in in Canada, and you know, probably some some combination of the the problems. And so I was crestfallen, and I was really actually totally ready to give up on it. And the reason I didn't is because the guy I've been working for, who's who's like my my friend and employer and mentor he was like dude you are totally just scared like do a kickstarter don't be such a chicken like put yourself out there you can do this book you don't need anyone's permission you don't need like a publisher to hold your hand through it like do a kickstarter see how it goes so i did a kickstarter fully expecting it to fail and because I expected it to fail, I was like, I got to pull out all the stops. So I'm going to hire my friend, Craig Muterlach, who's this incredible artist to do illustrations for it. Because like people probably won't want the book, but they'll want his illustrations. Oh, so, so I'll do that. And, and I'm also going to give it this badass cover. And so I hired my friend, Sarah Nicholson, who's the graphic designer for Sharp End Books, who I had worked with ah. on the Index Guidebook. She's awesome. Total badass, like incredible artist. Um, I was like, I'm going to make this thing look so good that even though no one will ever read it, they'll still want it like in their van life library. Yeah. It'll just be like a token. Like it's just a little souvenir. It doesn't, no one's ever going to read it, but they'll at least hold it to make it look like they read, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like they'll put it on a coffee table somewhere. 
So that was like, that was the strategy. And then the Kickstarter raised like twice as much money as I expected or hoped it to. Um, which I, I don't know if I've ever felt like more accepted or loved, you know, my whole life than that. It was just like, I was, and, and I was ready. I was like, okay, when this fails, then I can give up, you know? Yeah. Like kind of ready to be like, I'm going to do the next thing. I don't know what it is, but try something else. And, uh, didn't fail. So I can't, I can't give up yet. And like, that's, I still feel that way. I'm like, cool. When, when this next book bombs and everyone's like, <laughs> oh, he ruined his career because as above was great, but this one's horrible. I'm like, cool. Maybe I will go I to school and try finally. and be a nurse or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not that being a nurse is easy, but like, no. seems to pay well if you can make it through. Yeah. Yes. Very appropriate. Oh so. my god. So you so yeah, it never would have happened without this guy. Yeah. Like he he pushed me to self-publish. He pushed me to be brave and try Kickstarter and put myself out there. And yeah, when the Kickstarter was done, there was a publishing company called Mascot Books that reached out to me and they said, Hey, we can offer all kinds of services or we can just find you a cheap printer. And I was like, Cool, just find me the cheap printer because I don't I want to market it myself. I was like, I don't think, and I, I think that's actually a really important point to understand. If you're an independent artist, um, you're going to market your work better than anyone else ever will. Because for you, you're all eggs in one basket. Like if you fail, you're your only client. You're the only, like, you're all you got. Yeah. But you know, if I did a book for Mountaineers press and it bombed, that's like one of, you know, I don't know how many, maybe a thousand books or something or 2000 or five, 10 doesn't matter. Like their company's going to be fine if my book bombs. And I'm not saying that like Mountaineers wouldn't do an excellent job with my promotion. I'm sure they would, but even if all of their effort is there, just by virtue of having so many books, they need to promote like, their effort into my book can't be as much as my effort into my book can be. Yeah. You know, always. And, and I think that goes for, you know, Craig Muterlach is a painter too. Like if he found an agent, you know, I I don't know if it would work as well for him. Well, when, so the Kickstarter goes, you send it off and you get this beautiful cover made and you have these stellar illustrations and it comes back with that green hard cover and the gold leaf on the front (laughs) and you start shipping them. Yeah. What was the, this is one I'm really curious about because I don't know. Like what was the feedback that you got initially and continue, like how did sales go? Um, hmm, did you get support yeah. within the climbing community who, who the climbing community is often pretty cynical about upstarts, like trying to make yeah. art a lot of the time or just yeah, don't, yeah. they don't care. Um, so the really funny thing is you're begging for that opportunity to get published, you know, <laughs> and to get your book out there, but nobody's read it yet. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's scary as scary as it was to do the Kickstarter, then I had like 200 backers that I had to send books to and it was like, "Oh crap, what if they read it? What if they read it and they don't like it?" So, I was really nervous. Um but I was I think I'm 
I've had, I've like made my mistake with like promoting myself on mountain project before. Like oh, I did God. that when I had a blog, when I did fringes folly, I promoted that and it didn't go well. Me and like, stupid. I learned, Been you know, I learned done that. that. Yeah. And, um, although it's interesting, it works for some people and I don't know the equation, but anyway, so I was just like, I'm not going to do that. I, and I, I, banged down the doors of like climbing and rock and ice and alpinist and was like trying to call in favors as much as possible and be like, Hey, uh, can we do like an excerpt or a question answer? And, um, I was pushing, I did like a book release ceremony where I was, or not ceremony. What would you call it? Like I did, um, readings, you know? So I, I like booked like six different venues and uh like brendan leonard and hillary oliver helped me to book feral and they were awesome but like no one came and there was it (laughs) was and it was like not feral's fault you know why would you come to like go to a book reading from some guy you've never read before right i don't know i was i was fighting an uphill battle um but it just every little bit helped and i was meeting people and you know talking to people about my book and every time someone would post about it on instagram it would generate like a a sale or two um and the more heartfelt the post the more sales it generated i remember in particular my friend i uh how did i put this I had, I I won't, I won't use names. I had two friends that were dating at the time, two good friends. One of them had like 50 or 60,000 Instagram followers. And the other one had like 10. Um, The one with like 60 posted about my book and it was really heartfelt and it generated like five or 10 sales, which is amazing. Like that's so cool. Uh, And then that friend's partner who had like 5,000 followers posted about it and it was very heartfelt and it doubled the number of sales. Wow. That's crazy. And I think what I learned that taught me about social media and what it taught me is there's kind of a tipping point. Like as you get a certain number of followers, you transcend human status and turn into this like public figure status. Yeah. And when you're a public figure, people don't really care what they ha- what you have to say as much, I think. Sometimes they do, but like most of the times I just want to see climbing pictures. Yeah. But like if you're under this like critical mass point, people feel like they have a relationship with you. And that relationship moves them. And so if that person's like, "Man, I read this book and I thought it was really like really moving, you know, and it's really impactful." People take heart And so I just, I tried, I tried to ask as little as possible while still continually asking people, Hey, if, you know, if this book was impactful to you, please post about it on Instagram or post about it on Facebook or whatever. And, uh, there were brick and mortar shops that were supporting me like rock and snow and, uh, base camp up in Laramie. And, um, um, there's a, there's been a bunch it's, it's, I should do a better job remembering, but <laughs> I I eventually started to move away from brick and mortar just because I found that I was doing pretty good direct sales through my website and um, brick and mortar 
the shops that I had good relationships with and still do are awesome. And that's great. But trying to get your foot in the door with certain shops, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of work for not a lot of reward a lot of the time, which was frustrating to me because I wanted to support small businesses. Did you uh, try REI? uh, Not really. No. No. I heard that. And REI was... REI was already carrying my, um, the, the index guidebook that I wrote with Sharpend. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, this will be great. Maybe they'll buy a thousand copies. And Fred, Fred, the founder of Sharpend was like, (laughs) um, uh, (laughs) they will, uh, they might buy five, you know? (laughs) And I was just like, all right, I'm not, it's just, I quickly realized that my time was better spent trying to connect with individuals. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Like doing social media posts myself, um, doing podcasts like this, you know, like that made a huge difference. Huge. People really listen to podcasts. I hope you sell the shit out of this book after this podcast. I hope listeners, how much, (laughs) how much it's 24 bucks. It is. And, uh, I haven't always felt good about that price. Oh, so that's, no, I have you to, feel good I have it. to say something. So that price was set for the Kickstarter. Cause I was like, well, maybe my mom and dad and like 12 people will kick in 12 best friends. Um, what do I need to set, set the price at so that I could possibly reach my goal. And then after I met the goal, I was like, well, God, it'd be a slap in the face to all of those people who supported me out of the gates if I then sold it for cheaper to other people. So I just set it at, um, at yeah, twenty four ninety nine or whatever. And that's, that's where it's been. But, but that's um, what it deserves, man. Th- that book is not, it, it's not a paperback, right? It's not a trade yeah, paperback well, that you're going to get rid of. This is a hardcover knit. I mean, it's a knit cover book. It's fucking gorgeous. And also twenty four ninety five doesn't mean you have to have a thousand page book. Oftentimes yeah. it means this is a book you can share with somebody and they can read it in an afternoon and yeah. you can talk about it, you know, it's like a community book. That's what it's worth. Thanks, man. For sure. Yeah. Um Yeah, I mean I think I think great great art is worth a lot. Um, and I'm not saying my book's great art, but if, but if someone reads it and they feel something from it, it's hard to put a price on that. So, but what I would say, and I have said is, uh, <laughs> money back guarantee. Like if you, if you read it and you feel like it wasn't worth anything, just send it back. I don't care. It's fine. I'll give you your money back like zero because not everyone's going to love it. And that's fine. Like not everyone loves, uh, you know, Hemingway or like Zora Neale Hurston mm-hmm. or whatever. Like yeah. not everyone's going to love anything. So if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. Like I'm happy to give you your money back. Money back guarantee, dude. Come on, listeners. Buy the fucking book. No risk. But yeah. <laughs> we, By the way, we haven't hardly talked about climbing at all. You are like a, oh, yeah. an established <laughs> first ascensionist, yeah. an accomplished <laughs> climber. Um. But dude, it's the pandemic. Let's talk about other things instead of climbing sure, right now. Sure, yeah. And I well, love your writing and your book yeah. is just so phenomenal and your progression has been a joy to watch. Um, so let's end it on this. What would be, what is your like dream writing project? 
Oh man. If you don't have one, we can figure out a different final I question. Think, I think I'm I'm doing my dream writing project. I really do. Wow. And and the thing is this, my perspectives have changed. So a few years ago, I was really like I I want to be famous. Like as stupid as that sounds, right? Yeah. But I was like I just want to be respected. Like I don't want to go to a party and be like, I'm an author. And they're like, Oh, uh, who's your publisher or your agent? And you're like, uh, well, myself. Chris yeah. Kalman, Chris you Kalman. Have heard of I was him. like, I was like, no, I want to, I want to be able to go to party and be like, yeah, I, I'm an author for penguin books and you can get my shit at the airport. You know, yeah. if you don't know my name, screw you. I'm not mean like, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that was, you know, I just wanted to be well-read and respected. And I just, I don't care about that anymore. Like you don't need to be famous. Um, you can make a pretty good living if you control everything. If you control the production and the distribution and the marketing, you can make a pretty decent living selling like 2000 books a year. Yeah. And if that's all you do, you are in a position to possibly, depending on how much you like emailing, uh, have a relationship with like all your readers. Yeah. And that is so fucking cool. Yeah. Like oh, I've got wow. this email newsletter now and people that I've never met before, you know, are sending me emails sometimes, not a lot, but every once in yeah. a while being like, Hey, I really liked your book. And I can write back and be like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like, tell me about yourself. Like, you know, what do you like to do? And that, so fuck it. Like, I don't need a million people to read my book. I don't even want it. Like, I want to be able to connect with 2000 people max and that's it and have real connections. And like, if I can sell 2000 books for $25, right. In a year, that's 50,000 bucks. That's a fuckload of money. <laughs> <laughs> that's so much money. Oh my God. A climbing writer has never said truer words right there. That's $50,000. I mean, I've never even <laughs> seen that much money. It's certainly more money than I ever thought I would make writing books writing, in yeah. my life. And, and if I were working with a publisher to make that same amount of money, I Way mean, you less. make what a dollar a book. So Way you have to less. sell 50,000 books. What are the chances that's ever going to happen? You, yeah. you don't just need a publisher. You need to be one of their best authors too. Yeah. It's just like cards are stacked. Screw that. Screw that goal. I want like real legitimate connections with a, a reasonable number of people. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm living the dream project. I'm happy to say. Uh, do you know, well, fucking congratulations, by the way, that's yeah, like seriously. a very rare thing Thanks. to be able to say and like pronounce to many people. I, I mean, that's like Thanks. incredibly, incredibly rare. Um, I said that was the last question, but I got another one. Do you know what the third book is going to be? I've got a couple of ideas, but yeah. I'm not going to spill the beans. Yeah. <laughs> All right, shit. We pushed it as got, far as um, we can. I've got a couple of titles. Um, I think it's going to be called The Mountain This River Comes From. The Mountain This River Comes From. That's a great title. Thank you. Maybe that's all you need Thanks. to write. Just fucking send that thing out. <laughs> just a little. It's just a little haiku. It's just a, it's just a five word no novella. It's uh, no big deal. Yeah, five word novella. Let that simmer for a while. Um, 
So are are you? We'll finish it off by just saying, are you climbing again yet? Or yeah. Have you been? Yeah, I have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been uh, climbing pretty much the whole time, and I've been doing it as far as I can tell in a way that's 100% respectful and considerate of the risks and not adding to them. Yeah. And I've been trying really hard and I feel very fortunate that I live in a place where I can do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, not everywhere is the same. And that's, that's like one of the main take homes from, from this situation is like, what makes sense in New York versus what makes sense in Seattle versus what makes sense in Dallas, Texas are not the same. And, um, I'm fortunate to live somewhere where it's pretty easy to, uh, drive a short distance, not fill up gas, park somewhere where there's no one else, climb something safe, but fun. Um, use hand sanitizer and go home. You're in Oregon, right? I'm in Arizona. Oh, that's right. You're outside of Flagstaff. Yeah. Yep. And the crowds haven't been too bad down there. Depends where you go. Yeah, but right. there's there's a lot of rock here. Yeah. Fucking yeah. good for you, man. Yeah. We are yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's like I I kind of feel like that asshole who's like, oh, look at me. I'm uh, living my dream writing project that I've been climbing. And it's like, I just I'm very grateful. That's all I can say yes. is I'm just like super grateful and there's nothing about me that like especially deserves it. I haven't worked harder than anyone else and I'm not smarter than anyone else. I've just, uh, I don't know. I've just kind of gotten pretty lucky. Uh, you're so. a hell of a writer, dude. Don't, uh, you're being humble. But um, if you want to ruin everything that you've said for like the last hour, just say like coronavirus is a hoax and we'll end <laughs> <laughs> Chris Kalman announces you can, <laughs> you can go on an amazing adventure to build your career again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just say Thank thanks you. a lot for having me, guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks dude. a lot. No, um, honestly, like uh, I've I've been talking about myself so much, Dave. Your your writing's awesome. I've I've oh, really thanks, enjoyed man. reading your stuff and like the Feedy. Like you're super super great podcast host and I don't know you as well, but like Thanks, I've Chris. really enjoyed what you've brought to Dave, to Dave's whole scene. Like you guys do a great job. Um, I actually told my friend when we were like um, going to record the first time we were driving home from climbing and I was like, yeah, I gotta be back. Cause I'm doing this podcast. And he was like, Oh, what's it going to be? And I was like, Oh, uh, the thunder cling. Do you know it? And he was like, hell yeah. That's like my favorite podcast right now. That's no so way. Cool. You're going to do that. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. And, um, I, I know a lot of people that feel that way. I think it's just like, you guys are very, um, you're very honest, you know, your core, you're who you are. And like, you're not trying to pretend you're anything else. I think that's really valuable. Oh, wow. well, thanks, thanks dude. Well, that felt, that felt fantastic. That felt fantastic. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to be ourselves right now and say that you're invited uh, on any time after that oh, most yeah, recent yeah. comment. Um, we'll have you on every week <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> no, thanks. Dude. We appreciate like, it. Dude. Like I'm telling you, it's been so liberating for me to stop worrying about the people that aren't reading my work. And I would say the same thing to you. Forget anyone that's not listening to your podcast. Focus on the people that are, because those are your people. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of them. There really are. So it's yeah. badass. I don't think we're I mean this is a this is a similar struggle, dude. As a as a writer as well, like I know exactly what you're talking about. You come to a threshold one day in your career and I got to mine after like five years of writing. I was just like exactly like you. Like I don't give a fuck who reads it. What's important yeah. to me is do the work and to have the editors and whoever the magazine is to be like, that's valuable to us. And we think yeah. that'll be valuable to our readers. It's the same with a podcast, dude. Except the thing is, we control everything. We don't give a fuck who listens, man. If you enjoy it, yeah, we're that's so, so psyched. Definitely always. I mean, that's yeah. yeah, we're very honored. I think you feel the same way, right? Like, it's, it's really awesome that someone is giving their precious time to listen to us exactly babble yeah. like idiots and <laughs> get some some meaning out of it honestly i think it's because we we always have really great guests who yeah. are always just giving super good insight into whatever career or profession they're doing and uh also talking about climbing so <laughs> and for our listeners well, i gotta say one more thing is that chris Kalman was i think you were either the first or <laughs> second person I reached out to when we, because st- I had just finished as above, so below. And I remember sitting mm. on my couch and closing that book. And it was right after somebody had talked me into like, you should do a climbing podcast. Mm. And I had just dedicated myself to doing it. And I was like, ah, motherfucking first guess is going to be Chris Kalman. And I got <laughs> a hold of you that day. And it oh, never, man. it never came to fruition. Three years later, that's so funny because I was living in Fort Collins. Like I know, we were like man. an hour away. <laughs> I know. I was so excited, but I don't remember why it didn't work out. And then we've tried a couple times. Last week being another one. But anyway, we're we're so happy to have you on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. You're... And I'm proud to be on. I mean, it was, <laughs> I was looking forward to it for a long time too. Well. Um, your progression as a writer has been astounding. I can't wait to read yeah, the next we're book. We're very excited. Let's work Thanks. out some sort of discount for the listeners and sell more of yep. those books. Um, yep. And other than that, dude, take care. Congratulations Thanks, on the on the wedding that is TBD. TBD. The date is TBD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still happening, but not, <laughs> very not good. until next year. All right, watch your P's and Q's, dude. You're giving it a little bit extra time to simmer. Now. You know, watch like, out. I'm like, man, let's do the ceremony in the courthouse let's before go now. back out. Let's just get it done. <laughs> totally. All right, buddy. Let's talk in the coming days and figure out something cool. uh, to do with the, the discount. And other than that, uh, be healthy, stay safe, yeah. be he- yeah. be safe out there at the crags. Very nice Thanks, to guys. actually have a conversation with you with that. Yeah, get cut yeah, off. you guys... <laughs> You'll have to come down here sometime like when it's cool to do so again. But I don't like whatever kind of climbing you like to do. We got it. And yes. we got like the goods. So fuck. Yeah. yeah. I would love to do that, man. I will. I it's say cool. that to everybody, but I will actually take you up on that. That sounds you guys great. Should. Yeah. I've got a spare bedroom in our house. So and well, you sure. keep your journals welcome. in your house so I can like at night when everybody's asleep, <laughs> I can like look at it and be like, I'm going to fucking steal this idea and this idea. <laughs> I you know <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna say, oh dude, I can give you my first manuscript, but it's like I don't know. I wouldn't yeah. want like yeah, if I did that. that, there would be some part of you that's like, God, should I read that because he's gonna feel like 
hurt if I don't. Uh, I don't want you to think you should read it. <laughs> yeah, let's skip that part. Yeah, we'll skip that. Um, I'll send you something good if I ever have it. Cool. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate thank you. it. Like, love what you're doing. Thanks, Thanks man. man. You too. Back at you. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Down in the city where the wind patterns change Blowing around the buildings all tall What a good guy Dude, he's so nice <laughs> He uh, He's like one of the best talkers we've ever had on the podcast He might be like the first guest who's also, I think, listened to the podcast Before being on the podcast Or heard of it Fantastic, very rare Which Very is, rare bird Hey, it's a good sign um, And yeah, thank you guys Hopefully this was an episode you enjoyed and thanks for sticking around with us. Thanks during these. to Chris as well. Yeah. And thanks. Remember the promo code. Type in thunder at chriscalman.com. 25% off that book. Makes a great gift for that uh, climber in your life that you want to get <laughs> something special. special for. Yeah. Um, and it looks good on the bookshelf. I just, I, I, I can't recommend the book highly enough. It's mm-hmm. very rare to run into climbing fiction written um, so well so fucking well so we're really psyched about that promo um don't make us look bad buy those goddamn books <laughs> i don't want to have to buy 15 myself yeah because we will but i will i'll yeah, do it we'll do it i'm not afraid Chris is like wow <laughs> I'm, I'm shipping them all to the same address <laughs> this guy no, no, is no, fucking no, no. stoked um <laughs> so Feedy, yeah there is a potentially deadly virus floating around the world right now yeah um Killing people. Yes. Making people sick. Yes. But you're climbing. Mm-hmm. Good for you. I think it's time. I think it's time. Where you been going, dude? Where you been getting out? I don't want to say where. Ask. Why not? Because it's my, it's, you know, it's my, it's, it's, it's not secret, but you know. <laughs> well, I guess it's secret to you poor listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you know, it's definitely time to get back out on the rocks. Yes. Not time to go into the gym. By the way, if you guys yeah, want to read a great freaking yes. article about gyms reopening and kind of like the best place to go is outside right now, Kevin Corrigan, the digital editor of Climbing Magazine, yes. wrote probably the best coronavirus um, piece like the- vis-a-vis climbing that I've read yeah. during this whole kit and caboodle. So check that you can, out. You, you can, can find it. You can find it pretty easily if you just Google Kevin Corrigan uh, climbing gyms. It's a and it should just pop up. It's available online on Climbing. Really well thought out article. Yeah, but and you've been getting out, man. Yeah, you know Good I, you. I'm a big believer that we can go outside and enjoy the outdoors responsibly. You know, For making sure. sure that I'm avoiding big crew groups of people, hand sanitizing between goes. Um, yeah, I I just think it's we're reaching a point where you know, we kind of understand that you can be responsible uh, and do things. And transmission via touch yeah. is, uh, it seems to be slowly proving that unless you jam a finger in your mouth or eye or nose, <laughs> um, the chances of you contracting COVID-19 are really, yeah. really low uh, if you're responsible. Um, you know, it's most important just to keep your distance and wear your um, wear your face mask. You know? The more the more interesting thing to me about this whole going back outside has just been observing the weirdness of social media. Ah, uh, yes. God, it is. 
the air of climbing on Instagram is so feels so awkward and volatile. It's like you have the militant don't do any like stay at home don't do anything you have the people who said that and then now are posting about going outside and never acknowledging the fact that nothing's really changed in terms of the virus itself not really and but the hey i'm we're going outside now even though we said we shouldn't go outside at all for so i i just think it's interesting to to see this see the way people are handling it and um I really think it's important to acknowledge the fact that I don't know, you can you can still have some semblance of your life, you know. I think people can be responsible and I think it's possible to mitigate the transmission of it's this so disease. It's so fucking easy. Are you kidding me, dude? Wear a mask and stay away from people. Yeah. And also pit like uh um Chris Kalous from the Enormacast uh has been calling it like his pod. Yeah. Um, so find your find your like group of friends yes. and like stick to them and make a pact with those people just for a little bit longer. Just be like, okay, we're gonna yeah. climb together, the six of us, and we're gonna try to limit it to our group. Man, it's so easy. It, it, it's like time to get out. It's time to climb. Um, but like knowing that nothing has changed. Yes, we have to be very responsible. We have to be careful and responsible. Um, yeah, and I think. Uh, and don't bloviate on fucking Instagram. Freaks. Yeah, I still, I still, hey, that's another thing where it's like it's still maybe it's so weird. It's weird. It's just weird. What do you think? All of those Instagrammers, like, have they been going through a, a fucking crisis, like an identity crisis over the last two months? They're like, oh my god, I can't like influence the way I wanted to influence. I can't well, like post uh, semi nude pictures of me like doing yoga on the top of my favorite boulder. This, you know, it's inter- these people are really struggling. I feel for them. <laughs> it's interesting to think of too. I think, you know, obviously all this stuff comes from a good place. It's like, we don't want to, we don't know what this is. We don't want to, we shouldn't mitigate spread as much as possible. And then they kind of, I feel like some people really dug their heels in and then realized like, holy shit. Well, if I want to stick to what I said, I'm not going outside or doing anything near people for fucking two years. Cause there's not going to be a, vaccine there's that's not what gonna I'm gonna be do, dude. <laughs> i'm out <laughs> dave, i mean yeah that's why i'm here um, you're the only person i see anymore I'm dave's, i am dave's pod <laughs> <laughs> this is it i don't know it's uh i we talked we we actually this might be a good time to bring this up where oh god we recorded an intro a few weeks ago oh yeah and the, the lost intro the lost intro and we both kind of said what we're saying now but that was like three it was maybe like almost four weeks two ago. or three episodes ago yeah but then yeah, we, we were, were like, like it's time to go out this is like a month ago and fucking woke up the next day and we're like yeah we're like mm, maybe we're too soon on that a little bit. oh yeah and like it's it's uh it's hard to be the someone who's telling people to do thing, do anything i don't know like i don't oh shit we, we don't hold any weight yeah. dude we can tell people to do like i'm telling you <laughs> go out and buy chris kalman's book yes these people are just like fuck that guy man he this is not my dad he's yeah. not my boss i'm old enough to be your dad but i'm not yeah i'll spank you if you don't buy it though but yeah it's just funny too i mean like we felt the pressure to not t- not really say what we were thinking at the time I, think. I mean the truth is when you have a microphone in, in front of your mouth <laughs> and uh a, a few listeners 
like you can say it's time to go out and climb yeah. to your friends because you know they're going to be responsible. They're going to go to an empty crag just like you did at the beginning of this pandemic. They're going to turn around in the middle of a road trip and drive yeah. back home because they've spent two hours thinking about what they're doing. And you did that. And I, yes. I applaud you for that. And, yeah. But there's also a high percentage of people who are a bunch of dipshits. Not our listeners, of yeah. course, but if our listeners shared it with one of their dipshit friends, you know. Yeah, and that was that was one thing I actually I, I feel very I felt very strongly about was just like, and during the initial outbreak or whatever, was acknowledging like, hey, we don't know what this is really. Like, we don't have that much information about it, and now is definitely just like not a good time to be traveling to small communities. And quite frankly, that probably I still feel that way actually in terms of just keeping it local i mean if uh, the way i feel about it is if the community doesn't want you there yeah just don't go there right now yeah like moab um their hotels are open and everything but the the parks are closed and the dispersed camping is closed it's very odd of what's closed in moab but that is obviously them saying like don't fucking come yeah yeah exactly and i still i think that was like 100 percent still to me feels feels right um bishop hasn't had a case for three weeks i think of covid but they're still like eh, it's just let's wait a, i mean it's getting so hot in bishop anyway it's not the yeah. season but um so yeah it's interesting it's interesting times for for uh, everyone obviously and i think everyone has to has to figure out how to navigate they want to navigate these waters responsibly hopefully and uh you know you gotta live your life <laughs> You gotta live your life. You gotta live your life. Dude. Yeah, dude. You sound a little alt right over there. Freedom, okay, yeah, man. Yeah, Nobody can make I you mean, wear a mask. It's Constitution, bro. Oh shit! I didn't. I take it back. It's the Constitution. This is gonna be another lost outro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better stop there. I'm gonna uh, upset some people. Um, well, let's wrap it up, dude. Okay. Let, let's do something that we haven't done in a while. What? We are going oh, to. Yeah. We haven't had. Um, we haven't had a review for... We've had some ratings, some great uh-huh. ratings. Thank you for those. But if you guys have time, a great gift to send us. Yeah. We need gifts too. Don't we, yeah. PD? Yeah, we do. Obviously. Please send us presents. And that present would be, if you have the time to give us a review or on sh- iTunes, that would be... um. That'd be much appreciated. Or anytime, you know, if you want to share us on your Instagram. Hell yeah. Yeah, I get the that, word out. Yeah, Chris Kalman said that's that's a, that's a great way to get people to check something out. And Chris Kalman knows way more than <laughs> yeah. we know. So if yeah, not too if, embarrassed by us. If you guys um, have the time to write up a quick review, we'd certainly appreciate it. It goes mm-hmm. a long way to help out the podcast. We don't take donations or uh, have a Patreon or anything like that. So that's how we kind of get the word out. And that's it. We're not going to talk anymore. That's if you it. don't do it, that's fine too. You'll probably end up getting coronavirus oh if you don't do it. Oh my god, Dave. And that's that's your cross to bear. That's as wow. a listener, that's your cross to bear. Taste some salt in the air. I feel a little salty now. Dave's bald. I'm head all is of a sudden super angry. It's just steaming salt. <laughs> um okay. uh, and yeah. then if you want to get a hold of us, of course, if you, you don't take it over from here because uh, it's my favorite part of the podcast. Yeah, check me out on uh, twitch.tv slash feedybeedy. Uh, <laughs> like and subscribe. That's not uh, what I was talking about. I have um, pretty good emo. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I was talking about. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Um, email us at thethunderclinkpodcast at gmail.com. That is incorrect. Fuck. Just Thunderclink Podcast. And then uh, is- Instagram is the Thunderkling. Yes. I got it. Knocked it out, out of, of the, the park. park. First try. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, guys, thanks for listening. I know the episodes have been coming a little bit um, helter skelter recently. Like hey, at least three they're and coming. Half, three and a half weeks one time, two weeks another time, four weeks another time. It has been um, odd times. An odd year for a number of <laughs> sad and uh, weird reasons. So uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. We'll try to. We have our next guest ready to go already, and it's going to be in person. Yeah, it's a Denver local, so we're real psyched about that. We'll put them in a glass box and interview them uh, from sixty feet away. Sounds is good. what I was thinking. And yeah, you can have your little feet. blow dart, and if they like misbehave. Yeah. Straight through the glass, bro. It'll shatter around. Oh my God. I can't wait oh, for this. Maybe dip the dart in coronavirus. God. You Disclaimer. Uh, we're joking. Are we? <laughs> about coronavirus being funny. But you know. Eh. What are you going to fucking do? Got to make something. Some jokes about it, I think. Yeah. I think we need a little more comedy. Yeah. I just started a comedy series because I was like, I'm watching a lot of sad TV. <laughs> That's one thing I. Reading a lot of sad books, Dave. <laughs> You did just finish a very <laughs> traumatic book. Chris Kalman's As Above, So Below. Type in Thunder at Thundering in the promo box at chriscalman.com. Get 25% off. Okay, that's it. All right, okay. Thanks for sticking yeah, around. We'll see you later. There's no song at the end of this one because I nearly cut my finger off yeah. uh, making these damn holds, which if you want to buy, there's $212 a Minus, piece. Minus uh, about $192. Somewhere around there. I haven't yeah. come up with a price yet, but if so. you guys really do want some wood holds, get a hold of They're me. Nice. And, They're really uh, nice. I'm going to sell them for Dave kisses each nice one. and cheap. Yep. I sleep just, with them under my like pillow. Just like I'm kissing you guys goodbye now. I love you guys so much. Oh, that was a little too close to my ear holes. <laughs> okay, guys. Bye. Uh, bye.